morning, everyone. Today's scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, verses 20 to 25. Hear now the word of the Lord. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Mina. Well, as we have been going through the Gospel of Mark, it's easy to understand the book, this Gospel, these few chapters, um, ultimately answering two different questions. The first question is, who is this Jesus? That is, this is the Gospel of Jesus Christ. So who is he? And the book answers, he's the son of God. He's the Messiah, the promised one. And then there's a second question that comes with that. Well, if this is who Jesus is, what does it mean to follow him? What does this good news, this gospel, mean for our own lives? And this morning, we're going to see that what it means is that we're to be a people, a community, a family of, that embodies forgiveness. You see, in this end of our passage read for us this morning, it says, Whenever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Now, I think it's pretty obvious that Christianity may be known for a lot of various things. I'm sure that if we took a poll, one of the things would be forgiveness. That it's a, it's a religion that's all about forgiveness. You'd probably also get things about hypocrisy, right? And bigotry and all the other things. But I also think that with that comes this idea of forgiveness. Now, for some, forgiveness can be seen as weakness or even a betrayal of the people who have been hurt or injustice. And then for others... Forgiveness can be seen as a total impossibility. And yet, Jesus made it clear for us that we're to be a people of forgiveness. So what does that mean for us? Now, I'm going to be honest. We, by no means, are going to have all the answers this morning. And that's not just a humble way to say, you know, get ready for a bad sermon. That's because the... the, the topic of forgiveness is so huge and so massive, and the applications are so numerous, and your situation might be so varied and nuanced that how to apply this is going to take more than just a sermon this morning, but it's going to take probably a conversation and counsel with others. And so I'd encourage you as you listen in to think through what maybe some of those questions might be for you, but what I want to zero in on is 
out of all the books in the Bible that talk about forgiveness, out of all the verses that we could look at, we come to this verse. And so what in particular does this verse add to the conversation about forgiveness? Right? What, it, what is it about this weird incident with Jesus cursing the fig tree and Jesus having kicked everyone out of the temple that we looked at last week? that he's explaining, guys, here's the meaning of all of this, and that he connects what you have to understand is what happened with the tree, what happened with the temple is going to lead not just to prayer, like we talked about last week, but it's going to lead to being a people of forgiveness. And that's what we'll cover this week. And so we'll kind of look at three questions on this title of forgiveness. Why should I forgive? How do I forgive? And what does forgiveness look like? So let me give you an example of this. So the idea is, what's the reason Jesus gives us here for why we should forgive people? What are the resources that Jesus provides that's available to Christians in light of forgiveness? And then what does forgiveness look like? What should the results of forgiveness be? So the reason, the resources, and the results will kind of be as we guide through these questions. So let's dive right on in that first one. Why should I forgive? What's the reason for forgiveness? And ultimately, the reason for forgiveness is found in the incredible access that we have to God. The reason that we're to be a people of forgiveness, that we're to forgive others, isn't just because Jesus said so, though that would be reason enough, but he's saying it's because of the incredible access that you have to God. You see, this is why forgiveness is tied to this weird incident with Jesus having cleansed the temple. I won't rehash everything we talked about last week, but ultimately what Jesus is doing when he kicks everyone out of the temple is he's writing the injustice, of course, that people were profiting off of the worship of God and people were blocking others from actually being able to have access to God. And that's what Jesus does is Jesus opens up the floodgates. He opens up the access to God that was being blocked off by others, but that also was separating us from God because of even our own sin. And that's why there's everything about these last few chapters of Mark all center around the temple. Even as Jesus is marched outside of the city to be crucified, he's crucified on a hill just outside the temple. And the point of that is to say that Jesus replaces the temple for us. We don't enter into a building with a great high priest and make sacrifices because Jesus is the person that we commune with. And Jesus is the great high priest. And Jesus made that sacrifice. He gives us this incredible access to God. And so often in my own life, I'll I'll just confess my own sins this morning. So often in my own life, What I can do is I can live not taking advantage of the access that's provided to me. Let me give you an example. In college, um, one Sunday, you know, kind of right when we came back in August, um, after church, someone was like, hey, we have these passes to the PGA tournament that's playing just, you know, around the corner here. And so there's a a course, you know, over by our university, 
and um, they do kind of one of the, the minor tournaments there. But they'll bring in big names, right? So, you know, Tiger Woods would play there occasionally and a few others. Tiger wasn't there this year, but there were some other big names. And so it was like, sure, why not? Like, you get to go on Sunday after church as they're finishing up. You know, the final rounds, we'll kind of walk around, see what this event's like. Like, great. So they give us these passes, which actually, like, hang around our neck. And I noticed, like, not everyone was kind of wearing their pass. And so I just kind of took it off and, like, put it in my pocket. And we, we walked around and followed people, and it was fun, right? The blimps overhead. Oh, and everyone's got, like, all this swag that I'm like, where'd they get these towels and these hats and stuff like that? I want, there must be, like, some merch shop around here somewhere. And, uh, and then as we kind of progress through the afternoon and they come to the end, we kind of make our way to the, you know, the 18th hole where they have the stands, everything's there, and then there's these tents. And we're kind of like crowding up. And then eventually someone kind of sees us and who works there and is like, hey, if you want to come into the tent, like you can just come on in. We're like, okay. So we go into this tent on the 18th green. We're like, wow, this is really nice. You know, I mean, we weren't like able to get to the stands, but I couldn't believe they let us into this tent. And there's like this refrigerator full of food. And it's like cheesecakes and just decadent desserts. And then there's all these drinks on tap. And I'm like, wow, this is nice. I bet, I bet this is expensive, right? And so the reason I knew that is because there weren't price tags listed anywhere, right? <laughs> Which you know, there's no price tag. You can't afford it. So... We're like, okay, cool. And then eventually someone's like, hey, do you want any of this? And I'm like, oh, no, 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 definitely. I'm good. Thanks. I'm good. Um, and then, you know, eventually it's like, okay, well, I guess they're getting rid of the leftovers as like stuff's going because they're like really pushing this food on us. I'm like, okay, so fine. And then, um, and then, you know, everything kind of comes as they're finishing up the tournament. I think, okay, they're going to kick us out of here in no time. And no, like they just let us. And I'm like, we have an unbelievable view of the green now. Like, how did we get in here? This is crazy. Um, and then, you know, kind of the tournament wraps up and everything, and the person kind of working there is like, are you sure you don't want anything? And I'm like, well, I mean, like, like, are you just, like, giving it away? And they're like, oh, no, you have the pass that lets you into the VIP tent on the 18th green. So, like, all of this is, a, like, you can ha have anything you want. And I'm like, What? And then I realized they weren't selling merchandise. They were giving out merchandise. And so like the towels and the hats and the shirts and all that stuff, totally free because apparently the people who gave us these passes, they own a house on the 17th green of this course. And so of course, these were unbelievable passes. And we had all this access, but all the merch was gone. And so I took like a lukewarm piece of cheesecake as my consolation prize and just regretted that I didn't understand. I didn't know what kind of access we had. Like, I could have been living it up in the tent, golfers parading in front of me. No, I'm out there like one of the fools following the golfers around. And the reason I tell that story is because when Jesus cleanses the temple, when Jesus talks about this fig tree, and he talks to his disciples and says, you have an incredible access to God now is that we can live our lives as Christians not realizing the kind of VIP access that we have, not realizing all the benefits that are available to us, 
Right? This came through in our call to worship this morning from Psalm 103. Forget not all his benefits. And yet, we're so easy to forget the benefits that we have because the access that's been granted to us, because we have a great high priest who doesn't live on the 17th green, but who lives at the right hand of God and intercedes for us now. That's the kind of access that we have. And Jesus drives this point home with these these cryptic words that we looked at last week, but he says, have faith in God. I truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. Now, we talked about how these verses can obviously be abused, but as I've thought more about this, Jesus is saying, guys, this is the kind of access that you have, that you could have incredibly powerful prayers. So let me ask you, right now, who's the most powerful person that you could just call? Like right now, like if you pull out your phone and we're like, all right, who's the most powerful person on your contact list? As you're thinking about that, I wonder what categories you're thinking in. Are you thinking about someone, the wealthiest person you know, the most politically connected person you know, right? Well, the answer to that question is actually kind of what power do you need? So, for example, um, right, do you need the power that comes from someone who's wealthy or someone who's connected politically? Or do you need the kind of power from someone who owns a truck and has a lot of tools? All of us have an unbelievable power to call 911. And we could summon a small brigade of people with all sorts of heavy equipment to deal with all sorts of emergency situations, right? But if we called 911 because the church ran out of coffee, we'd kind of get into some trouble, right? We're like, yeah, no, 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 that's not what our power is for. And in many ways, that's exactly what Jesus is getting at, is Jesus is like, look, you have this unbelievable power, but keep in mind, you, you can only call it for the right things. You can't call 911 for running out of coffee or because you have weeds in your garden, right? Even though you have that kind of power, that kind of access to them. In the same way with me, I'm, Jesus is saying, you have access to a heavenly father, someone who is all powerful, but someone who is also all wise. And that's the kind of access that you have. Okay, what does this have to do with forgiveness though? Jesus is saying, you have this kind of power, you have this kind of access, what does that have to do with forgiveness? Because in some ways, doesn't this sound a little, like a little arrogant? Like, doesn't this kind of sound like the, uh, like the, the annoying rich kid in like a Disney sitcom show who's like, oh, just wait until my father hears about this, right? That, that we as Christians, like, we can just call daddy, you know, when we have a problem, is, is that what we're saying? Well, no. It's, it's way more than that. Because this isn't the kind of access that doesn't make you arrogant. It's the kind of access that makes you humble. Because you understand the only reason we have this access is because Jesus had to die for this kind of access. The only way any of us could make it into the presence of God is if God himself would die for us. And so, of course, all of us are the kind of people 
that God had to die for in order to talk to him, to even glance in his direction. That's how sinful we are. But it doesn't just give us humility. It gives us a confidence where we can know that Jesus died for you. He is your father. And you see, Christianity then, because of the cross, is the only religion that doesn't turn us into a tribal group of people who hates those outside of us and only likes those inside of us. And if you kind of start to question the insider thing, we're going to just kick you outside of us so that we can hate you outside of us. No, Christianity actually tears down tribalism because it says, look, we all need this forgiveness. We're all on equal footing before God. But it doesn't just leave us hopeless. It gives us the kind of confidence. And it's when you're changed into that kind of person, Jesus is saying, when you have that kind of access, what's going to result is forgiveness. Forgiveness will always be the result of that. Someone who values people and relationships and community and family, someone who values maintaining and preserving those things through forgiveness. Right, so the all-access pass that lets you get all the cheesecake and the swag in the kingdom of heaven, right? That swag is the ability to forgive. So how do I forgive? How do we become a people of forgiveness? If this is the kind of access that we're open to, this is what Jesus intends for us. How do we become people of forgiveness? Because look, let's face it, forgiveness can seem like a pass for perpetrators, and a burden for victims, right? Like, well, I know that terrible thing happened, but you got to forgive. Is that kind of what Jesus is, is leading us into? I don't think that's the case, because how do we forgive? Where's the resources that Jesus has given us for forgiveness here? As he ties all of this together. Well, just like the reason for forgiveness was found in our incredible access to God, the resources for forgiveness are found in our incredible access to God. The resources that you need in order to forgive are provided in the access that you have. And it starts with what for the first time in, I believe, the Gospel of Mark, we're told that God is our Father. I know it's wild to think, you know, it's been... 11 chapters, we come to the end here, and just now the Gospel of Mark is saying that we have access to God as our Father. Because, of course, this is a theme that runs through all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that Jesus has given us access to a Heavenly Father. But Mark has waited so long now to bring this out because, of course, Mark is explaining for us what it means to follow Jesus. And it means that you have a change in identity, that the access that you have means that your identity has been changed because of how God has changed his relationship to you. And the reason this is so important for forgiveness is because the thing that's kind of a challenge to forgiveness is how the hurt, the anger, the bitterness that we have can begin to kind of shape and transform and affect how we view our identity. And no one puts this better, I think, than M. Craig Barnes, who is the president of Princeton Theological Seminary. And he writes in his book, uh, Pastor as Minor Poet, 
He says, what hurts our souls is when we gorge ourselves on anger at God or at other people until it makes us sick. Anything that tastes as good as anger should be taken in moderation and never on an empty stomach. But the problem with anger is that it makes us lose interest in the blessings of life because we can only think about one infuriating thing. We obsess over it and become intoxicated with the hurt that we feel. And this is why the old saints claimed that victimization is a waste of suffering. Once we take on the identity of victims, we are allowing nothing redemptive to occur. And since we idolize the anger, how can we be open to such divine gifts as healing, forgiveness, and the gravitas that emerges through adversity? See, I love how he points out that that bitterness pulls us kind of into, right, what I've been told by people who are way smarter than me, the, the relational drama triangle, right, of kind of the, the perpetrator and the victim, and then there's the hero who can kind of step into all of this, that the bitterness, the hurt that we carry can kind of begin to affect our own identity, forcing us into that victim position. Now, this isn't to minimize any of the ways in which, of course, we, we've all suffered injustice. We've all suffered in many various ways, some, of course, in deep, horrible ways. But what Jesus is saying is, look, because of your access now, because of what I've done for you, I've opened up to you, you can be much more than a victim. You actually have the resources to move beyond that because no person can really truly hurt you now. No person can really truly touch your real identity, your real worth, your real significance because all of those things are not wrapped up in the person whom you're bitter against, the person who has sinned against you, or as the word here says, who has trespassed against you. But instead, you have a new orientation, a new identity found in your relationship with a heavenly father. And you see, this, this begins to change our identity, which begins to turn us into people who can forgive because of the access that we have. Now, there's three kind of things I want to clean up pretty quick here then. First is, well, hold on. Doesn't the verse say, you need to forgive so that God will forgive you? Does that mean like if I don't forgive this person, God's not going to forgive me? Or the only way I can be forgiven is if I'm forgiving everyone else? Of course, I mean, if we play that a little bit, that would mean none of us gets forgiveness, right? Because none of us are perfect forgivers like God is. But what this verse is saying is it's saying you can never earn God's forgiveness, but you can in some ways maybe disqualify or prove that you haven't tasted God's forgiveness, that you haven't actually experienced it. It's bothered me all week that I'm like, why is it that Jesus, whenever he talks about prayer, talks about forgiveness? Like, I understand I need to get forgiveness from God. I need to confess my sins and get, like, prayer, that, that works. But why is it that when I'm praying with God, I need to be concerned about forgiving others? How does that affect my prayer life? Well, of course, it affects our prayer life because it's actually a marker. It's 
right? The, the test, the proof that we're experiencing the real God because we're becoming people of forgiveness. We're dealing with it. That in many ways that when you stand praying, as it says, that you're almost distracted because of the other relational things happening in your life that you need to go deal with. But notice again that the two other things I want to clean up is the resources here for us. Kind of goes, it all goes back to that access. That you need an emotional humility in order to forgive someone. That you need to be able to say, I'm no better than this person. And no one puts this better than Miroslav Volf, who is a Yale theologian, who comes out of the, the Baltic Civil Wars, right? Witnessed terrible atrocities and writes about forgiveness in the midst of genocide and evil and suffering. And he says, what happens is when we don't forgive, we are excluding the enemy from the community of humanity, and we're excluding ourselves from the community of sinners. And that when we come to the cross, the humility that brings is that it brings us back into the community of sinners, and it brings our enemies, the perpetrators, back into the community of humanity. And then, of course, not just the emotional humility that's needed to forgive, but the emotional confidence. That again, this person, this person can't affect my real identity. What this person has done to me is maybe horrific, but in many ways, Jesus is so powerful and can supply so much to you that you still have a wealth, a confidence out of which you can still become a person of forgiveness. And that the cross provides this. Okay, so let's, let's bring this thing home then. Let's wrap this up. How do we forgive, right? We've looked at it. The resources of forgiveness are found in our access to God. Why should we forgive? Well, because we're the kind of people who've been given access to God. All right, well then, what does forgiveness look like? What are the results of forgiveness? And maybe you've figured it out by now, but the results of forgiveness are found in our access to God, just like the resources and just like the reasoning for why we forgive. It all comes back to what Jesus has talked about the temple, that he's replaced it. He's given us access to God. Now our heavenly father, reorienting our identity, making us into a people of forgiveness with emotional humility, emotional confidence. So let's get practical. What's this look like then? Now, forgive me, but maybe I should have started here because the whole time we're like, what's forgiveness mean? Like, what do you mean by forgiveness? What's that going to look like? Right? And we've kind of hinted at it. Is it just, I give this person a pass no matter what, and I just got to bury it and eat it? Right? And uh, I think it's important right away to make sure none of us confuses forgiveness with reconciliation. Of course, forgiveness, the goal of it is reconciliation, right? To be reconciled back just as we were reconciled back to God. But the responsibility for reconciliation, Jesus does not put on you. He only puts the responsibility of forgiveness on you, of not drinking in the bitterness of anger on an empty stomach so that it affects you, right? But 
Instead, he puts the burden on experiencing God's forgiveness so that you might forgive others. So it's not to be confused with reconciliation. So what is it then? Well, I think we have to look at the word Jesus uses here for forgiveness. He uses the word so that your Father who also in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Now, this is a fascinating little nerd point here because when we say the Lord's Prayer, maybe you grew up saying, um, and forgive us our trespasses that we, we forgive those who trespass against us. Right? Or maybe you grew up hearing, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, Jamie and I, right, we grew up with trespasses, kind of old school, and, uh, and we're teaching our kids debts. And so when we say the Lord's Prayer as a family sometimes, one of the adults can usually derail the whole thing, and we laugh and we start back over, right? So what's the difference there? Well, in some ways, Jesus uses both words. So in Matthew 6, the Lord's Prayer, where he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That's probably a really good translation. But then he does, right after that, in verses, I believe, 14, he uses the word, as you forgive those who trespass against you. So trespasses and debts kind of give us an idea as to what exactly we're supposed to be forgiving. And I like both of those senses, that a debt means someone has done something to you where they owe you something now. Whether that's they've damaged something, right? And they owe a debt. And trespass brings this idea of, right, you were caught trespassing. That is, you were walking somewhere you shouldn't belong. You went somewhere with someone you shouldn't have gone. And that what Jesus is saying is that... uh, We have to forgive those. If that's what we're forgiving, if that kind of sets the definition for forgiveness, what does it actually look like to forgive? And here's why I think this is helpful, is because think about a person whom you've maybe had a grudge against, or someone who slighted you, you know, who you felt like, "Mm, I, I can't forgive them for that. And big or small. Now, I want you to think about that person having gone through something horrible, something torturous. What I find in my life is usually when something like, I mean, God-awful happens to a person that I'm kind of harboring some bitterness against, I kind of let it go because I'm like, oh, man, I feel really bad for them. And the reason is is because at that moment, in my mind, I'm like, they kind of overpaid. Like, I had a debt against them, but the reason I'm able to kind of now forgive them and be okay because of the suffering they've gone through is because I'm like, oh, they've, they've paid. And what Jesus is saying is that when you forgive, you're saying they don't have to pay anymore. They may have trespassed somewhere that they should not have gone, but you're not going to make them repay the debt. And there's three ways I want to highlight this. The first way is that we don't trespass back against them. We don't trespass against them, trespass against them with others, and we don't trespass with ourselves. You see, if 
many books on forgiveness, articles on forgiveness will all kind of talk about, you know, three or four promises you make when you forgive. The one that I was first exposed to kind of comes from this, this old group called Peacemaking by Ken Sandy, now Relational Wisdom 360. You know, Lisa Turkhurst has a book on forgiveness. Tim Keller writes about forgiveness. All sorts of great books on forgiveness. And they all kind of have this core idea here of like, well, what does it mean to forgive a trespass? And I think, number one, it means that we don't make them pay. We don't trespass back against them. So we don't kind of act controlling over them. Well, we always kind of have an IOU in our back pocket. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that's what you want to do, but like, I'm going to be the one in control here now because you remember that time you walked where you shouldn't have walked and you trespassed? You remember that debt you owe me? I forgave you, I forgave you, but also forgiveness now means I sit in the control seat. And in many ways, that idea of gaining control, as we've talked about before, is to basically, one, it does subtly make them repay, but two, it forces them to be the vulnerable ones to you, ensuring that you're never vulnerable to the one who hurts you ever again. And we can do this by being cold or avoiding them, keeping score, making cutting remarks, right? I'm sure none of this sounds familiar to any of you, so I'll move on to the next one, and that is we don't trespass with others now. And there's nowhere better at this than the church. You got any prayer requests? Yeah, let me tell you about something that I'm just really struggling with. And you then divulge all the ways in which a person now owes you a debt, right? They're indebted to you. They've trespassed against you all the hurt, all the pain, all the suffering, please pray for me. When it's really a please pray for them, right? And pray for my revenge against them. Now, now I'm not saying that doesn't mean we don't support one another, we don't talk through these things with one another, but there is a fine line where in some ways we can make them repay by trying to even get support for ourselves to walk through that. And there's a, there's a, a sneakiness there. Right? Or, you know, just subtly kind of warning someone like, oh, you're going you're gonna to do that with them, huh? Okay, well, just, you know, be careful. And it's just, well, nothing, but, you know, I mean, one time, they, you kind of subtly, subtly explain and make them pay with others. But I think the deepest one for us, and this again comes back to our time of prayer, is how do we not make them repay the debt, right, is that we don't continue to drink the bitterness and the ill will that we have in ourselves. That in many ways, our access means we now pray for them, asking the best for them. Because forgiveness is something that is granted. It is not something that you feel right away. And each one of these, I just have to say, is a process. That Every time you kind of face the temptation to not bring it up to them, to not make them repay, to not make yourself, to not make them repay by talking about it with others, and to not make them repay by even just talking about it with yourself. Not trespassing back against them because they trespassed against you. This is an ongoing process that hopefully does get better with time, but also with some hurts, you know, it takes certainly more time than others. And that's why Jesus says, when you pray, 
assuming that you're always going to be engaged in this process of forgiving others. Now, we could go on about how forgiveness requires speaking the truth and forgiveness requires of these conditions that a person, you know, leads to reconciliation and more than that. But I think this is the core of what Mark wants to say with our forgiveness is a direct result of our access to God. And we know that because in many ways, Jesus forgave us by, dare I say, trespassing. Jesus walked where he did not belong and where he should not have walked. That is, on earth as a human being, walking a life for us, living a life for us. And then Jesus didn't just walk, but was marched onto that hill outside of the temple where he would be crucified to give us access. And there, Jesus would pay a debt that we could never repay so that we might be forgiven. And Jesus continually does not make us pay. He does not bring it up back to us or to others or even to himself. He has paid the debt completely in full, giving us access to God, reconciling us back to him. And that, when we see that, changes us into the kind of people who forgive others. So let us pray. Father, we do not want our prayers to be hindered. We want to pray for our enemies. We want to experience the forgiveness that you provide for us. God, we want to see in our, our lives as a church an emotional health, an emotional confidence that was the result of understanding that we have an all-access pass to the kingdom of God. Our identities have been changed. So work that into our lives, Jesus. Help us to see how you have covered our trespasses, have paid our debt, that we might be people who do the same for others. We pray this in your name. Amen.